Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a very warm welcome to the afternoon show. I am Than Bennett in for Bill Arnold today. So very glad to be with you again. And we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit this hour. And I think, I I really think this is one of the most important topics for Jesus followers to understand because the Holy Spirit is the part of God that was sent by the Father and it was sent at the invitation of Jesus, and it was sent to be our advocate and to remain with us. John chapter 14 says that Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us. And then in verse 26, it says this. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It is an It is an indescribably, I I think awesome is the word that I would use, the word that comes to mind. It is an awesome and a very tangible promise. The Holy Spirit, one part of that triune God, will be sent by another part of the triune God, and it will be sent at the request of the third member of that triune. And what what purpose is it going to be sent? It's going to be sent for the purpose of being our advocate, and to help us grow in the truth of the gospel that came through Jesus Christ. So it's an amazing promise. It's one that we're going to be focusing on uh, this hour, and we're going to be talking about, are we living up to the reality of that promise? Does your life, does my life reflect a reality that is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it can, and quite honestly, it should, And our guest this hour is going to take us a little bit deeper into this conversation. He's going to take us deeper into a conversation about how to live a spirit-filled life. That guest is Jack Levison, and I want to introduce him to you now. Jack is an internationally acclaimed scholar. He's an award-winning author. He holds the WJA Power Chair of Old Testament Interpretation and Biblical Hebrew at Southern Methodist University. He previously taught at Duke Divinity School and uh, Seattle Pacific University, and I just love this. Jack has been, I, I think I would say Jack has been very intentional about reaching a wide audience, a diverse audience with the message of the truth. That's so important these days, and I think it's something that is often not accomplished even by those of us who try to do that. So I'm, uh, I commend Jack for that. Uh, Jack's written for the Huffington Post, Parade.com, Relevant.com, and BeliefNet. He's the author and the editor of many books, including A Boundless God, and then also the book that we are going to be discussing today. It is called Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. So, Mr. Jack Levison, welcome to the Afternoon Show. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to be with you. 
Jack, we're just delighted uh, that you are here. Thank you for the investment you've made in, in writing this book. I'm I'm super excited to get into it. It's a it's a wonderful, critically important, and, and super relevant topic for our world today. And I'm eager to dive in. But I want to get to know you just a little bit first. I, I've you spent some time in your bio, and it's it's very interesting. You're extremely well educated. You're um, an accomplished communicator, an accomplished author. And, and I'd just really like to hear for our audience about your formative experience. What, what motivated you to a career like this? Maybe a little bit about how that career unfolded, and then maybe just a word about the things that you're currently focused on. Well, there you go. I'm 67, so this could take a while. Do you have time? Um, I grew up in a very small church on Long Island in New York. And um, I was baptized at 12, and at 15, I was up at our little church camp up in the Catskill Mountains, where I felt called to full-time Christian ministry. Hmm. But it was when I went to Wheaton College that it really, I felt the fire of God in my belly. Um, the very first day of class, a Greek professor walked in in his three-piece suit, put his uh, briefcase down on the desk, and wrote in Greek on the board. And he said to us, who knows what this is? And of course, it was the first day of Greek class. None of us knew what it meant. And he said, this is Philippians 4.13. Hmm. Who knows what that is? And of course, it was Wheaton College, so everybody pretty much raised their hands. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he said, can you do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Can you pass a chemistry class exam? And he began to deconstruct what I always believed, and helped me to ask questions about God. Well, what better dimension of God to ask questions of than the Holy Spirit? And so basically, for much of my life, I've been asking questions about and directly of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I love that so much, Jack. I um, I connect with your uh, origins, your roots a little bit there. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, so I know Wheaton well. Um, I, I appreciate some of that background. I uh, want to ask a couple more questions. Your, your wife is Priscilla. I understand you met her at Duke University. I'd like to hear about her. I know you have two adult children, and I want to ask about this. This, this. this might be a little bit out of left field a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's still true, but I read that at least at one point, Priscilla and you lived in a dorm. And so I'm okay. wondering, is that still the case? And either way, what was or is that all about? Well, let me start back. Do okay. you mind if I start back with meeting Priscilla? Please. Okay. So I don't know if you know, the Duke University campus is a huge chapel. And next to it is the Divinity School, where I was a PhD. I was a PhD student at Duke at the time. And I saw this young blonde woman in a camel, like a camel hair coat and wire rim glasses walking in front of the chapel. And I thought, wow, she's really cute. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, and this is a true story, I was broke, graduate student broke, and I was uh, going to interview for a job ticketing cars on the Duke campus. And um, before then, I was having my devotional time that morning. And I remember specifically saying to God, God, I know I'm not supposed to do this. It's like asking for a new bicycle, but I really want to meet that girl. 
And then after my little interview for Ticketing Cars, I was going to a lecture and at a landing on the steps up to the room where the lecture was, there was Priscilla with a mutual friend and the mutual friend Linda said, Jack, I want you to meet Priscilla Pope. And the first words, this is how I know God was speaking through me there. Um, the first words I said were, um, you have a beautiful smile. And she does because the smile comes from her soul. And we got married about a year and a half, about a year and a half later, and we've been married for about forty-one years now. Is it? Um, and um, she is a remarkable partner in ministry. She's an ordained United Methodist minister. She's a theologian in her own right, and she's particularly interested in the history of women in America, but also evangelism. So we do a lot together. And apropos of that, um, yes, about three years ago, um, I felt called to move as a faculty in residence into a dorm on the Southern Methodist University campus. I felt like God might be leading us there. Priscilla, being the wise person she was, was a little more cautious. And so we did a lot of praying and thinking, and I had to go through a pretty rigorous application process and interview process. And we, for the last, it's actually recent, for the last two and a half years, we have lived in an apartment in Bose Commons with 185 students on the SMU campus. And it is a wonderful ministry. We can talk more about that, but it is a wonderful place to be with these young, bright, and most of them uh, secular undergraduates. Hmm. I just, I love that so much. I find it uh I, I find it endearing, Jack, that after 40 years of marriage, not only do you speak about Priscilla that way, but uh, the two of you are, are willing to do a, an adventure like that, live in uh, a common residency like that. So uh, congratulations to you on that. Also, just just one note of commonality. My grandfather, who has now passed away, was a United Methodist minister, and I have okay. such fond memories of sitting in his congregation. So I appreciate that, Ty. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me ask you about this. Let me ask you about the book. It's called called uh, Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. And whenever I talk to authors, I'm an author myself, and I, I always like to hear from authors before we really even talk too much about the content. I like to hear an, an answer to the question, you know, why, why this book? Why now? And I know from reading a little bit of the book, a little bit of your background, hearing you just now, I know that this is a topic you've spent a lot of your life devoted to, right? Studying, teaching, writing but how did how did how did all of that lead you to this book uh in this relative moment well that's a good question um i i've been writing academically on the holy spirit since 2000 actually since 1993 i, I wrote my first article in the context of a National Endowment for the Humanities Summer Seminar for College Teachers at Yeshiva University <laughs> under the direction of an Orthodox Jewish scholar, Louis Feldman. And it was on a very arcane Jewish text, was the very first thing I wrote in 1993 on the spirit in a first century Jewish text. Then I had a year in Germany on a fellowship, and I wrote my first book called The Spirit in First Century Judaism. And then I wanted to expand to the whole Bible. So I ended up spending a lot of the year 2000 to 2008 or so writing a large book called Filled with the Spirit. That was my big academic book. 
And then in 2012, I wrote a more popular book called Fresh Air, The Holy Spirit for an Inspired Life, which is actually coming out in two months, right in time for Pentecost, in the 10th anniversary edition. It's revised. But this particular book is my effort to distill a lifetime of learning into small snippets, snippets hmm. and concrete applications, and then prayers, so that people can begin to familiarize with themselves with the Holy Spirit day by day, rather than all at once. And I actually wrote it in that period between living in our townhouse in Dallas and moving into the dorm. I wanted to find a space where I mean, a space in my life where I could really meditate on Scripture and um, think deeply about the Holy Spirit in a time of transition. So this book, for all of the people who are listening who are in a time of transition, who don't have a good steady um, rhythm to their life, this is a really good book for getting in that rhythm. And I wrote it to remain in that rhythm. Every day I would do the same thing uh, to write this book. I love it. And I, I may want to circle back and ask you about uh, fresh air if we have time later in the conversation. But I love that you brought up uh, the word snippets because we're, we're actually going to head to a quick break here. But on the other side, Jack, I want to ask you about the book's structure. I didn't, I, I didn't use the word snippets when I was going through it, but I think it perfectly encapsulates a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about the structure of the book. Because just from my perspective, and we'll, we'll get into this more on the other side, but from my perspective, the structure of the book is so consumable, so practical that to me, that was one of the biggest gifts of it. So we'll ask, we'll pick that conversation up on the other side of this break. My, my guest is Jack Levison. The book we are discussing is called Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. And I am Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold today on the afternoon show. And we will be back with more conversation right after this. You? Well, you're loved. I get it. It might not always feel like that. But the truth is, God knows you and where you are at all times. He actually loves you so much, He calls you His. If you would like to discover, maybe even rediscover that relationship with Him, consider attending the Set Apart Conference for Women on March 8th and 9th. Go to setapartconference.com and register today. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 14, 26. We are talking about the Holy Spirit today. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold. My guest is Jack Levison. He's written a book called Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. And Jack, I mentioned this before we went to a break, but I actually want to talk to you about the structure of the book, the symmetry of the book. You write in the book about seven specific secrets, hence the title. And then within each of those seven secrets, some of them, you know, hopefully we'll talk about along the way here, but you write seven very short chapters inside those sections. And I want you to explain this a little bit because this is one of, one of my favorite things about the book. You, uh, you know, the, the first uh, chapter in each section is about breathing. And then there's five chapters about the topic itself or the secret itself. And then there is a chapter that's focused on a 
photograph. And I actually may want to ask you specifically about that, but talk to us first about that structure. Why seven sets of seven chapters each and why that sort of, I guess I'll call it a one, five, one rhythm. Why, why did you set it up that way? Well, in the church year, there is the feast of Pentecost, which is based on the biblical story of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Most Christians, you know, have Easter, Christmas, maybe a little bit of Lent, but Pentecost occurs 50 days after Easter. There you go. This is 49 days that can take you from symbolically Easter to Pentecost. And on day 50, you can have your own personal Pentecost where all that you've been learning and reading and applying and praying can become a part of your spiritual renewal. So 49 days fits perfectly into the 50 days of Pentecost, as in Pentagon 550. Which is why you said at the outset that it's good timing for this book, because we're coming up on that period, so it would be a good yes. time to, to work through the exercise. Okay, uh, I love that. I Again, I found it so engageable. It was very easy to consume, very easy to apply. Uh, but I, I do want to—I I know I may be belaboring this a little bit, but I want to ask about that last chapter of each section, and here's why. I myself write a weekly newsletter. It's called The Equipped. We start with truth, then we deal with some current events, and then we always close with a photograph. So similar to what you oh. have done here, Jack. And I do it because I'm trying to encourage a posture of beauty being carried back into the world. But what I find, and this is what I'm curious about for your book, what I find is that that, that last contribution through a photograph often has the biggest impact of the whole thing yeah, after all the words that I've written. And so I guess I'd like your perspective on what your goals are for that last uh, chapter of each section, and just maybe a word on on what kind of uh, feedback you've gotten about the impact of, of structuring it that way. Well, thank you for the question. Well, one of the answers is I've got a son who's a videographer by trade. He's a professional mm -hmm. videographer and photographer. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be fun to do something with Jeremy? So we took trips together and looked for places to take photographs. And a lot of these come from our trips together. Um, the first, the second one, in fact, of, of a spinning wheel is Priscilla, my wife, who loves to spin. Um, so a lot of the reason we did that was to have a little father-son time together and really enjoy the trips. Because I've written a lot, but I'd never done anything with Jeremy. And so that's a lot of the reason why we did the photos. But the other thing is, listen, I'm an academic and I'm a teacher. <laughs> and I know sometimes, to be, to, to be honest, you can get constipated with knowledge. You can get bloated, right? It's like, I can't take I another it. day. <laughs> and instead of doing a lot of meditating on a biblical text, I thought it'd be really nice to have people look at something that they could read what they've learned into something that symbolized exactly what had happened in the prior week. So it's a way to pause, slow down, and see what you've been learning in print. I think. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not a I'm not an artist by any means. 
So, so I love that. I, I anticipated something along those lines. I'm, I'm a little hamstring here, though, Jack, because the version of the book that I have, it's a digital version. So I am, I haven't been able to see the photographs yet. And and you actually, don't have the is, photographs. I don't have the photographs, and so oh, I feel like I'm gosh. missing the punch at the end of each section. So I, I promise you, I'm going to get them. But that was one of the main reasons I wanted to ask because I feel like it's the exclamation point at the end of each of these. Each oh, of these sections. oh my gosh, and they're. Oh, yeah. So like the, the second week, right? The second uh-huh. uh, secret number two, saturate yourself oh. with scripture. Well, that ends with a photograph of a medieval of medieval Hebrew manuscript that's in our library here at SMU and this beautiful, and you could see the creases in the page and you can see the curvature of where it's curved over the years. And the idea is, and it's all in Hebrew, saturate yourself in scripture. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you're asking for this. You want me to shut up? No, not at all. Keep going. I, I want to hear about this. Okay, well, that's one. But then we have a whole secret. Secret number three is called Commit to Community. And that secret is really helping us to understand that the spiritual life is not an individual affair, that it's done in community, but it's really hard to stay in community. So I'm going to tell you about the third one. I apologize if this is not what you really want me to talk about. Please. But that, that week ends with a picture of a yellow Formica table with a candelabra on top in a field of blue bonnets. So Jeremy actually carried that table on his back for about 100 yards into a field of blue bonnets where we set it down and put a candelabra on top of it. What in the world is that about? Well, remember, the, they've been reading about how hard it is to remain in community. And that is the table I grew up with as a child, and it became Priscilla's and my kitchen table. Hmm. And in the mid-90s, we had a really, really difficult time. There were some difficult things going on in life, really difficult things with jobs, and in fact, job loss. And she and I um, were really struggling in our marriage. And so we stayed up one night at the yellow table all night and made the decision, we're staying together. We're not giving up on this relationship. And so that picture is about how Priscilla and I committed to our relationship at the yellow table. So that picture emblematizes everything they've been reading for that week. So each week ends with a relevant photo that encapsulates what they've been doing for that particular secret or week. I love that so much, and I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. That was one of the secrets I wanted to discuss, and I want I want to circle back actually to the first two at some point here. But I, uh, there there was an aspect of that third secret, commit to community, that I wanted to ask you about, and so I just want to do it here since you've kind of opened that door. You know, um, Jack, I I think that community is sort of a cozy word, but in my experience, it takes a lot of work, right? To create truly flourishing uh, community. And I think it really does require the participation of the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to 
wanted to just read this short blurb you wrote in the in this in the book. Reach out today to one person who belongs to a different Christian community from you, who holds a different point of view on hot topics, who worships differently from you. Bring them a word of encouragement, of grace, of gratitude, because they too belong to the same spirit-filled temple as you do. And I just I love that. I think it's it's dead on. And and this is why when I was introducing your bio, I kind of seized on the diverse audiences that you have reached with the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to ask you about that. It seems to me like it's intentionally woven into this chapter about, about having community within different Christian communities and focusing on that, that commonality of Christ. Say a word about that, if you would. Well, it's not hard to see that we live in a fairly polarized nation and that my church, even the United Methodist Church, has just split um, into a more conservative and a progressive faction. So our church has split, and that has split individual churches. We know that politically we're very split. One could argue racially we're very divided. And that's just no way for a Christian to live. You don't live the spirit-filled life divided. I mean, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians who were split into different schisms, he described them as a spirit-filled temple and that those who divide the temple will basically um, be destroyed themselves. I mean, if we are dividers, we're really not living the spirit-filled life. So that application that day was find someone. Maybe if you're Democrat, find a Republican. Maybe if you're liberal, find a conservative. Maybe if you're white, find someone from another ethnicity and bring them a word of grace, not the words of condemnation that we just the roll off our tongues. It's easy to be mean. It's easy to be cruel. It's easy to cut down. It's easy to judge. It's really hard to be a person known as a, as a source of grace to people with whom you fundamentally disagree or from whom you are fundamentally different. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is a great, I think it's just a tremendous crime that we have normalized division and become used to it. There's my sermon, but I am very passionate about this. I mean, I live in a dorm Hmm. with, you know, students who are Republican and Democrat, they're they're Asian, they're African, they're Latin American, they're white, they're Californian, they're Alabaman. And... My job is to love all of them, not the ones with whom I agree. And I believe that is a calling that every Christian has. Amen and amen. I've got a grin on my face as I listen to you, Jack. This is right in the center of my heartbeat as well. It's why I write that newsletter. This is this is the mission of followers of Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not called to those who see the world exactly the way we do. We are called to reach people with the truth of Jesus Christ, and that means associating with and reaching out to people who are different, who uh, maybe don't believe as we do. And quite frankly, uh, we're not omniscient either. And so we need that iron sharpening iron of being with people that have a different perspective as well. We've got to take a short break here. We're going to pick the conversation up on the other side. But I just want to I just want to reiterate what Jack just said. 
that this is not a question of laying truth down. There is truth, there is untruth, but this is about a commonality in Jesus Christ. And maybe this is one application point you can take away from this conversation. Maybe you'll pick up Jack's book, Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life, and you'll use a lot of these application points. But I think this, this is one that you can use even before you read the book. How can you increase the unity inside the church, inside uh, the, the community of Jesus followers? How can you reach out to someone inside the Christian community, but maybe who sees the world from a different perspective than you? And how can you be Jesus to them today? It will take this the Holy Spirit. It will take leading a Spirit-filled life. That's the topic of the conversation today, and I think it's a great application Point. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold today, having a great conversation with Jack Levison, and we will be back with more after this. It's the afternoon show, and I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold today, having a great conversation with Jack Levison, the author of Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. And I just wanted to underscore one more time the conversation we had just before the break. One of the secrets in the book, secret number three, is commit to community. And Jack was encouraging us to seek out members of the Christian community, followers of Jesus who might view the world a little bit differently than us, and to seek to strengthen the unity of the Church of Jesus Christ just a little bit more. I think this is maybe the most important takeaway. Obviously, we'll have more takeaways, but maybe the most important takeaway that you could have from this conversation. This is something that each of us can own, that each of us can do, and it's a core command and invitation in Scripture, and I think it's something that each of us could grow in. I know it's something that I have been intentional about. I I'm aware of my shortcoming in this area, and so I'm very grateful for Jack, uh, to Jack for underscoring that. Uh, Jack, I want to get back. I'm going to circle back a little bit. Uh, that was secret number three, but I wanted to ask you about a couple of the others specifically. I wanted to start with the first one. Um, the uh, The first one is anticipate infinitely more. And, and you invite believers in this secret to, uh, d- uh, to discover the Holy Spirit in their everyday life and to anticipate infinitely more. What, what do you mean and how do we do that? Well, I think sometimes we think that the Holy Spirit comes on the mountaintop, where the Holy Spirit comes in a special worship service. You know, you have 20 minutes of really great choruses and you're all enthused. And by Thursday, you're pretty much depleted. Um, or you go to a camp or you go to a, a retreat and you get all charged up, but then your daily life, it doesn't quite work that way. And so the first one is basically recognizing that the Holy Spirit is with us every day of our life, uh, no matter how we look, no matter how we smell, uh, despite that. But, but it's not just that the Holy Spirit is with us but that we have disciplines that we can put in place that help us to live in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I have things like practice in secret. I think this is about Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, who did all these wonderful things for Pharaoh in the Bible, you know, Joseph of the many color, coat of many colors. Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, what he really learned to do, he learned in prison when no one was looking. And then when everyone was looking, he did it again. And the idea is we build small disciplines. So let's say if people who are listening don't have 
15 minutes a day of a prayer life. You start with a 15-minute-a-day prayer life. There are even three-minute exercises. Loyola Press has a three-minute meditation. You start small with small disciplines. That's why this book is cut up into small pieces. And you find a place, you sit quietly, and maybe the discipline is just simply breathing for one minute because, as the book makes clear, the Hebrew word for breath is the same word as spirit. It's all one word. It's ruach in Hebrew. So just taking one minute a day to receive the ruach, the breath of God, and to breathe it out is a spiritual exercise. Small disciplines making every day a sacred space. Which is why each of these sections, each of these secrets starts with a chapter about breathing. It's about breathing in yes. the Word of God and the truth. I love that. Um, let me let me follow up on that because you mentioned small disciplines, and this was something that I I found in the book. I found it extremely practical. Um, this is something that my wife and I tried to do very intentionally. Jack, we we advocate for Jesus followers to get involved in foster care and adoption, but we we tell people this all the time. You can't start with everything at once, right? You can't adopt tomorrow if this is the first time that it's come to mind. Maybe you start by learning who in your church is doing this work, and then you just take them a meal on the day that they take a foster placement mm-hmm. because that gets you serving. It gets you proximity to the need, and it's very practical. It's something you can put your hands on. I think this book does that in that small discipline space. It gives practical actions to implement the, the the concepts you're talking about. So I just wondered if you could talk about that a minute. It's clear it was intentional to me that you made it tangible, um, but but just give people a flavor of that. How will it be tangible? How will it be actionable? Okay, but I want, I want to go back to what you're saying, which I think is just you know, an incredible thing, uh, encouraging people uh, in this way. I'm going to be very practical. There are many of us who know how to cook. We may not know how to cook well or whatever, but one thing we've learned about college students is they love food. You put food out in front of them, they'll often be there. You put fresh brownies out there that are just slightly undercooked, which we did on Tuesday night, and they're like, wow, these are great. So why not take a small step of once a week or once a month inviting someone like a youth either out to dinner or to your home for a meal? Or if you're near a college, find out where the students are in ministries and stuff and invite them over. Very, very small steps. So what I did was when I wrote the book, the, I, I started in the morning, and I would read the Hebrew or the Greek of the biblical text I wanted to talk about, and then I would pick my favorite translation, what I thought did best. And then I would write about 300 words, which of course I had to revise 100 times, but I wrote 300 <laughs> words on that Bible text, and then I wrote an application. And if the application wasn't clear and concrete and practical, I went back and rewrote the devotional because I really wanted a connection between the Bible, the thought, and the action. So every day has an action. So some people have said to me, hey, I read your book, Seven Secrets. And I thought, well, they probably read it, but I'm not sure they did it. Hmm. And this is a book to do 
little by little every day so that you get in the habit of living the Spirit-filled life, the daily habit of living the Spirit-filled life. So a couple of things from that. I think you pulled it off because that was exactly the takeaway that I had. However, I had to consume it uh, more quickly than that in order to be (laughs) ready for this. So so I have not done it yet, Jack. I just want to confess that out loud. I have not (laughs) done it yet. I haven't done it either, you know. I've only read it. You haven't done it either. I didn't do it. So here, here's my other takeaway from that answer, though. You said slightly undercooked brownies. Those are way better than ones that are cooked to the temperature that they want you to. And I would just raise you a little bit here. Uh, chocolate chip cookies, you, you ruin them when you cook them. You're supposed to eat it in dough form. Did you know that? Yes, I do. I buy my uh, chocolate chip <laughs> cookies by the hundreds from Costco Business Center. So, yeah, I know how <laughs> students love them. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I appreciate it. Um, Hey, listen, I want to, I want to now return to uh, secret number two. You mentioned this a moment ago, but I, I I really think, um, I really think this is an important one. And maybe, maybe I'll ask a couple questions on this because I think the Holy Spirit, like, like so many other topics, so many other things produces different opinions among believers, right? And I think it's, that's why it's so critical to come back to God's word, to root our beliefs and our actions in what the word of God says, nothing more, nothing less. And you talk in this book about how the Bible's authority sometimes surprises us because it, it, it instructs us to do something that is surprising we're not used to, or, or maybe it's, you know, countercultural. So I'm just wondering first, when it comes to this secret, if that's happened to you on the, along the way, or if you can think of a time where that happens as you've studied the Holy Spirit and taught about the Holy Spirit and written on the Holy Spirit, have the instructions of God's word about the Holy Spirit surprised you or made you rethink anything that you had thought previously about the Holy Spirit? Well, when I started my work, I knew almost nothing. I grew up in a church Mm -hmm. where there was a man called Xavier, and he would speak out during the church service, and I thought he was speaking Spanish because he was a barber, and all the barbers on on Long Island at the time were from Puerto Rico. And so I assumed he was speaking Spanish. Well, apparently he was speaking in tongues. And so the elders of the church did what elders do, and they kicked him out. So I didn't have much experience of the Holy Spirit in my church. I didn't know very much at all. So everything I've learned, I've learned from the ground up by doing Bible study. But I think one of the things that struck me, and I'm not sure I can find it in the book right now, is in 1 Corinthians, which is a book where the church is very divided— But in chapter 12, they ask him about spiritual gifts, and that's when he begins to talk about speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing and all these various spiritual gifts. But before he answers their question about spiritual gifts, he doesn't get there until he says, now, here's what you need to know. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So going back to the notion of divisions, that was a real shock to me. I thought, really? Everybody says Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. So there's like a baseline for every Christian, and it's not what you believe about speaking in tongues. It's not what you believe about baptism. It's not what you believe about communion. It's not what you believe about homosexuality. It's not. It's can you say Jesus is Lord because that's the sign 
of the Holy Spirit. So little things like that jumped at me. I'm going to give you another one. Oh, I lost the page, but I'll find it in a minute because we were talking about community. This really struck me as I was writing this book. I think it's on page, page 81. I came across this verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. When I began to do my word study in Greek of this verse, I noticed that the word keep is the word guard, and the word bond is the word fetter, that these are words that are prison words. So Paul was writing, of course, from prison, and he was looking around, how do you describe keeping the peace of the Holy Spirit, and he found basically fetters that you put around your ankles, and guards, that community is really hard to keep. And I remember studying this and finding those words out and thinking, wow, community is not a happy place. It's a place that we slip away from easily. So in order to keep the peace of the Spirit, we need to keep ourselves guarded and in the fetters that God has given us. So there there have been these little wonderful surprises all along the way coming out of the Greek and the Hebrew of the Bible. So good, Jack. I appreciate that. We're going to go to a short break, but I, I appreciate that uh, that foundation that you've rooted in this. All, the, all seven of these secrets are important, but I, I really do think this one's at the top of the list. This is the foundation. The Bible has to be the base on what uh, that th- these other secrets are built on. The Bible has so much to say about all of these topics, and we should have a commitment to standing on the truth of the Bible, come what may, but doing it in a way that seeks the unity of those who are following Jesus. So I really appreciate that perspective. Uh, I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold. My guest is Jack Levison. His book is Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. One more segment coming up with Jack uh, after this, and we will talk to you uh, right after the break. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. It's the afternoon show, and I want to read for you Matthew 28, 19. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about that Holy Spirit uh, this afternoon, my guest is Jack Levison. He's written Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. Just a few more minutes with Jack here. And Jack, a couple more topics I wanted to pull out of the book and get your thoughts on. Uh, you encourage followers of Jesus, and I quote, to go where the going gets tough. And you talk about wilderness experiences. And for me, that evokes images of John the Baptist and of Jesus in the desert. But 
how do wilderness experiences and tough times, how do those things and places promote or require spirit-filled lives? Boy, I could, I could go on really long about this one because I'm <laughs> old enough to have had an awful lot of wilderness experiences. Um, it's great to experience the Holy Spirit in joy and in worship and when everything is going well. But if we remember the story of Jesus, right? He's baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descends into him as a dove, right? All very peaceful, all very beautiful, all very lovely. And then what's the first action of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life? It casts him out into the wilderness. And the Greek word there is ekbalo, as in exit and ballistic missile. And it's the word used of exorcising demons. It's the word used of casting out the money changers from the temple. It's the word used of if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, pull it out, and throw it away. And the very first action of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life is to cast him out into the desert where he has to figure out what he's going to do with his life. He has to test his vocation in the harshness of the wilderness. I think Christians who emphasize only the, the good things, only that God has rescued me, only that God is good to me, only that God guides me, all of that is a part of the Christian life. But it's not the whole of the Christian life. And that's why in the Gospel of Mark, the very first thing the Holy Spirit does is to take Jesus and throw him out where he can try to figure out what it means that he is God's son, God's beloved, with whom God is well pleased. These are the words he heard at his baptism. These are the words he has to put into practice. He has to incorporate. He has to internalize in the desert. They are just as important in our lives, as are those good and joyful times. I was so glad the section was in the book, Jack, because, you know, to believe otherwise, to believe that all will be rosy at every moment, and that's what the Spirit-filled life is only about, I think that sets ourselves up to be disillusioned. And so preparing for those wilderness moments is so important, and I was, I was grateful for that section. Um, you write that a spirit-filled life leaves a spiritual legacy, and this this mm -hmm. struck a chord with me. I think about legacy a lot, Jack. There have been um, well, there have been a number of things in my life, just very candidly, recently that have reminded me of the brevity of earthly life. But then, in sort of the same breath, I remember the huge expanse that is eternity. And so when you say legacy, when you write about legacy, I think about trying to impact that expanse, that expanse of eternity and those who will experience it or could experience it rather than clinging to the temporal things of earth. But I want to know what comes to your mind when you think about legacy or write about legacy and how that ties into living a spirit-filled life. And I think you said it beautifully, actually. You put it in its larger perspective of I mean, so Priscilla and I, uh, somebody has to do this, but Priscilla and I were, were asked to speak on a cruise for, for, for five days. <laughs> Rough life. And, and, you know, yeah, someone's <laughs> got to do it. So we did it. You know, it's the cost of discipleship to speak on a cruise. All, all expenses paid. 
but we talked about legacy. And, you know, we went through how Merrill Lynch and all these things talk about your, do you have a financial legacy to leave? What are you leaving behind? And we said, what's your spiritual legacy? What are you leaving behind? How will the world be better for your having been here? And of course, you obviously know that near and dear to our heart is leaving a legacy because we live with undergraduates at SMU. And um, we really enjoy um, creating a space for them to grow in faith. So they are our legacy in faith. So for instance, on Tuesday nights right now during Lent, we have a group that comes, we, we, we invite everyone and a group of about you know 10 usually comes to a, a something we called Lattes in Lent, honest conversation for people of faith, no faith, any faith. And we have some atheists, we have some Christians, we have a Jewish young woman, we have a guy who doesn't know quite where he is, and we all get together, and I do a little teaching on the book of Jonah, like for five to ten minutes, and then they talk. Last week it was till a quarter till 11. Hmm. And we consider leaving a legacy very, very important. Now, I just want to say one more thing. I hope if there are people who are my age, I'm 67, and think that now's the time to settle down, that you say it's absolutely not. Now is the time to leave a legacy. There are so many young people who have struggled through the pandemic, who are perplexed by the polarization in our society that our generation has left to them. These are the people we can mentor one by one. So leaving a spiritual legacy is an intentional effort to mentor and care for people who are younger than us physically or spiritually. Amen and amen. If there is breath in your lungs, God wants to fill your mm-hmm. mouth and use it. Could not agree more. Jack, we've got about a minute left. I want to talk first steps. I think reading this book would be a first step. But just very briefly, if someone wants to start leading a spirit-filled life, where should they start? Well, I think the first thing you do is you take time away from the busyness to breathe because the Hebrew word spirit is the Hebrew word breath and spirit and breathing becomes a spiritual act whereby we listen to God. So the first thing I would say, one minute a day of good breathing and listening to God. The second thing I would say is read something of scripture every day even if you don't understand it. That would be the second thing. The third thing I think I would say is look to someone to mentor, someone to whom you can give undercooked brownies and a listening ear. And then fourth, do commit to community. I think since the pandemic, people have really pulled away from community. But you talk to my 31-year-old daughter, and community is one of the three things people want. We just kind of got out of the habit. So breathe, study just a little bit, mentor, and commit to community. And those would be four steps that put you well on the way to recovering the joy of the Holy Spirit. So good. The book is Seven Secrets of the Spirit-Filled Life. I am disappointed we are out of time, but my guest has been Jack Levison. Jack, I'm so grateful for the time today, grateful for your encouraging us to lean into the Holy Spirit and to lead Spirit-filled lives. We'll be back with Hour 2 of the Afternoon Show right after this. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. 
Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.